Welcome to Stories of Growth, a series of conversations with modern day business leaders who share their stories of growth and the lessons they've learned along the way. I'm William Rowe, founder and CEO of Protein. I've been helping businesses grow for over 20 years and I've always been fascinated by the people behind these organizations, where they come from and what drives them forward. For season five, we're moving into the world of Web3 and speaking to the people who are putting communities first in order to manifest a more equitable and decentralized future. In this episode, I chat with Sin Bahati, artist, poet, and game designer, as well as co-founder of Moongate Guild. We discuss a number of things, but especially her journey into Web3 and her insane crypto family. This was recorded live in the Protein Discord, so make sure you follow our socials or visit protein.xyz for all other upcoming events. I think most people definitely know me from Her Story Dow. About a year ago, I instigated Her Story Dow because I saw um, a, a piece by Latasha the Rapper. Um, she produced or she released a poem. And at the time, I was also releasing poetry on Zora, and I was the first spoken word artist on Zora. So when I saw another woman releasing poetry and she's a black woman as well, I was like, I need to own this. I need to have this. At the time though, I was just a poet and I was also doing PR for like a crypto firm. So I did not have the funds at that time to like really give her what I felt the piece was worth. So um, yeah, so I, I mean, I'd, I've already been working in like Web3, like behind the scenes doing PR for like musicians and Interscope Records like Mick Jagger and big brands so I understood Web3 pretty well um, because I was also doing a lot of DeFi protocols and um, this idea of the DAO was not um, particularly new to me although it was at that time last year was new to most people at least new to the zeitgeist of Web3 we were still kind of figuring out what a DAO was and um, I very much was still figuring it out as well um, but I decided, hey, it would be cool to have like a DAO collect this art piece. And I didn't think it would be anything more than that. I just really wanted to be a part of the history of collecting it. So um, in less than 24 hours, her story was started and we um, acquired her piece and we gave her her highest selling um, sale to at that point, you know, to date. So it was it was really exciting. It was a lot of fun. And then I got bit by the bug again, because like literally a week later, one of my favorite artists of all time, Yatrata, um, they released a piece on Foundation, their um, inaugural, like their debut piece. Mm-hmm. And I love Queen of Sheba. I, you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I, oh my God, it, it just like spoke to me. And we had some money left over from Latasha's sale. And I was like, we need to get this. And then that's when her story kind of continued. Um, and I, at that point, still had really no idea what we were doing or what the future would be like. Um, so I didn't do a lot of, like, I would suggest if you're going into a DAO to do a lot of pre-planning, um, really sit with yourself if that's what you want, because it just was, I'm very, like, a spontaneous person. 
yeah. and very impulsive. And it was, it was, I think, um, single service DAOs are amazing, like coming together to acquire one or two pieces. But after a long time, I was like not built for like sustaining it. I'm super creative and super again impulsive, and I like to just do things with no commitment. So, um, long story short, I was like, I don't know if like art collecting is like what I'm here to do in life. So, um, I left the administration to some other people I trust and then, um, got back to what I originally wanted to do in the whole crypto space originally was making games. Um, so yeah, that's my, um, I guess my origin story. Yeah. Amazing. No, we're big fans of Latasha. She was on, actually on the podcast um, previously, um, back uh, back in March, and oh uh, yeah, unbelievable. Um, and I hadn't realized that that was the inception of her story. Dow was to buy the Latasha piece, um, which is, I mean, it's beautiful in its own right, <laughs> um, and a really good point on you know the role of DAOs. Um, you know, us, ourselves included in terms of having that clear purpose and that clear mission. And, you know, dowing is hard, right? <laughs> I don't think anybody really fully realizes that in terms of the commitment that goes beyond the initial inception. Um, and, and, you know, for, for respect of really recognizing that and coming back to your, uh, you know, your creative, you know, drive and, and, and prioritizing that and, um, yeah, we'd love to hear now sort of post her stories. Um, yeah. What, what projects are you working on? So, um, I'm always in like in web three because of my family. Like my mom is crypto mom on Twitter. So there's never a day when I'm not really working on web three things. So, so when I left her story, I, I immediately, um, just dove into other projects doing like, again, like PR marketing for, Lost Beauties, Women and Weapons, got to work with like um, VaynerMedia and just like really cool projects. But still, I um, am at this point right now. And actually, this is like a new revelation. So you guys are hearing it live. But I I realized that most of my like time in Web3 has been like marketing and PR for like other brands and people. And it's been really fun. But um, I'm, I'm getting this nudge to get back into storytelling and like um, doing something that's unique to me. So that's kind of where Moongate Guild kind of arose. And funny enough, it's it's kind of like a DAO. <laughs> so um, <laughs> what is it? What, what, always... what is a DAO though, right? Like I think there's it's like what is Web three? Like we we use these right, acronyms, right. but you know what do they really mean? But anyway, let's let's go yeah, with what we yeah. think it means. Well, so what, you know, trial and error, that's how I learn. I, I, yeah, I can't, sure. you know, claim to be an expert on anything. But what I do know from working in a DAO and um, leading operations in a DAO is that not everything should be decentralized. But there's, but what can be decentralized is really cool. So like for mm -hmm. Moongate Guild, we found very quickly that we're in a unique position because we're game agnostic, meaning we're not like an Axie Guild or like, a, like you know, any other, we don't, we don't belong to just one game. So mm -hmm. lots of games can come to us for our services and ask for advice. And right now we're working with Dark Force, which is like the first fully on-chain game to help um, crowdsource game design. And that is something that has, you know, been a blast trying to set up how we're going to decentralize that because it makes so much sense to get the opinions of community members and to play test with people, right? Mm -hmm. um, 
that makes sense to decentralize versus like logo design, um, like design things. I feel like maybe just having a trusted designer <laughs> carry on that vision. Um, and this is like a joke because like I, in the past I've tried to like get group opinions to make small changes and it, it like it, no decisions get made essentially. Mm-hmm. So I guess it's determining like, it's like understanding human psychology and realizing that we are, we work really well together in some scenarios, but in other times, like it's just maybe better to um, go with an authority in that realm. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And I think it's also, and I think definitely I've seen, um, even talking to fellow DAOs in various stages of, you know, their journey, it's, you know, it's more of an empowerment of a, a core decision team, right? Um, that they've been entrusted to, you know, make key decisions and evolve the direction or the trajectory of where, uh, you know, the DAO is going or the execution of the mission. Um, because you're right, like, <laughs> it's going to self-employed if everybody gets to decide on everything. Um, but I would love to hear a little bit more around Moongate. So just in terms of the, the you know, the, the goal is it, it's to, to design and build games. Is, is, is that it? So that's one part of it. That's a, like a big part of it. Um, and I, I realized that we need to cultivate a place for game creation because um, games, to me, in my opinion, will be what movies were for the 20th century. Mm-hmm. You know, they're the new media for the 21st century in that it's interactive. And I'm, we're testing out game theory and game design with brands at Moongate. So it's um, making games and also gamification. So, for example, we're working with Restless, which is actually like a fashion metaverse brand, to gamify their Discord. And in like one week, the Discord went from zero to 10K just through gamification. Wow. And um, yeah, we've pioneered the idea to instead of using captions in Discord to use games because it engages people and, al- and also it clears bots because bots don't know how to play. That's a human, innate human quality. Yeah. Um, so that's that's one way that I that that's some of the work that we're doing is gamifying, and also just like the creating games will come. We haven't even fully launched yet, but we just wanted to create a space for this sort of dialogue to happen because it's important. Mm. And then the other realm of that is um, is the learning part. So we have labs, and we have um, we're growing out a library. So anyone can learn about game theory and game design and tokenomics because again i really really believe that this is the medium of the you know the 21st century and the metaverse is only going to aid its explosion so i want everyone to be a part of it no that's great i know i i fully fully agree and um uh, yeah i think if we can or if you can help us (laughs) generally solve the discord capture bot phishing scam headaches um through some simple fun gamified onboarding then i think we're we're all going to win um can you i don't know what stage some of these games are at is there any examples you could um you know touch on in terms of what what they are what format they are and how they work so um for restless we are developing a game to um get the people that are interested in in whitelisting and because that's another big even the word whitelisting right like mint listing yeah. <laughs> my bad yeah get, get people who are interested in in that process um to get a fair shot at it because right now it's it's like um 
the common way to, to get on any of those lists is to like be on Discord for seven hours a day. Mm -hmm. um, so we're going to create a game for that. Um, and so that's going to be like, I guess, the first thing that comes out. But yeah, we have um, right now, I think because it's still so early, we're just building strategic partnerships with games that are that are already out, like Dark Forest, for example, and making them better. Um, but yeah, I'm like, I'm, I really just, just want to like get to a space where I can put some of these ideas, um, out. So yeah, I, I can't wait to actually like produce, um, these ideas because even if it's as simple as, uh, solving the problem of like mint listing, there's a lot of other problems I see in the space that I feel can easily be changed through gamification. So, sure. yeah. I mean, let's, let's touch on some of those problems and, um, you know, we have in our Discord a channel called Tough Questions, which is, you know, solely there to ask those questions that need to be asked um, to, you know, keep ourselves accountable, but just to really have some healthy discussion. It will be great to hear your your views on what could be improved, what needs to be improved. Um, and, you know, and some of those challenges that lie ahead for, um, you know, I, for the, the community at large, but I think specifically within some of these, um, you know, sub-communities as well. Okay, awesome. So earlier we were talking about DAOs, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think one of the things that we're experimenting, well, not I think, but one of the things we're experimenting at Moongate is to make engagement um, into a game. So this has been proven to work in, in, other, in other fields and disciplines in like Web2. Um, and, you know, if you've ever played a game, basically, you level up and you make achievements and get, like, a badge to show that you've you've leveled up, right? Mm -hmm. um, we can incentivize contribution in DAOs the same way as games, and we can feed on human psychology and the part of us that just loves to succeed and level up and to, sh and to show progress. Um, I feel like that would... I feel it makes the most sense to apply gamification in DAO... DAOs in terms of like contribution and engagement, um, because I, I, you know, co conversing with a lot of people who are in DAOs or who have instigated DAOs, and a number one issue they have is okay, well, we have a large DAO, but only about ten people contribute. <laughs> so how do we, how do we reward those ten people beyond just paying them, and how do we um, incentivize more people to feel that they can and making DAO operations game-like is, to me, makes the most sense. So if that means having a leaderboard or, um, you know, if the POP is like a game badge for attendance, it's it's like a cool thing. Then, I mean, there's a lot of, I guess, like nuance to how you could gamify a DAO, but basically that's the, that's the idea. Uh, that's really nice. Um... Just in terms of, I guess, sort of wider inspiration of the, um, I guess, sort of gaming landscape, um, is, are there any other examples that you've seen out there, like inspirations, um, you know, DAOs or, or guilds or groups that um, you would recommend, you know, exploring? Uh, Moongate. <laughs> um, <laughs> actually, you know, I'm looking at Web2. Um, to kind of figure out a way forward for us mm -hmm. because there, especially in gaming, like there's a lot of cool things that have happened um, last week or yeah, last week in 
in Moongate, we were talking about the flash movement. So at one point in my lifetime, and I know, Will, you remember this, but every website was flash mm-hmm. and all the games were flash. There was actually like a cultural and social reason why we don't have that anymore. I'm not going to get into that. But it, but Flash empowered creators, small creators, to make games mm-hmm. and to make websites. And it was just this awesome movement. So we're looking to the past to kind of see ways we could do that. Because I think in, you know, in Web3s, we, de- we definitely have the intention and the brain. But I think sometimes we can take the baby out with the bathwater when we try to innovate um, very quickly and all at once. So yeah, looking to the past, especially like the Flash movement, for example, like um, Flash was the first example of of really open source game design because um, there was like this huge Flash forum for all the creators where they would share, you know, how they made games and stuff. And I feel like something like that, um, it would be nice to see something like that in this space because most games exist in a vacuum. And I don't know why, because uh, rising tides lifts all shifts. So, like, if Axie is successful, then Skyweaver is successful. And it makes sense to me that there would be more cohesion between games and even DAOs, but there there isn't. So, um, so anyways, yeah, it's learning from the past, I think, is, is what's helping us a lot right now. So what is, and that's a great analogy, and I completely agree in terms of the role of Flash in... And it's not just game design, right? That's UI, UX, uh, like a whole multi-layer, multi-layers of uh, like digital experiences. But what would you, uh, I mean, what is the Web3 of Flash? It, is there one? Like, is it a mashup? You know, w- w- what are you using to build your games? See, that's a good point. That's a really good point. I think, though, if if Flash were to... Uh, have like a renaissance period or a resurgent period, it would have to be through Web3 because all, all of the problems that led to its downfall were essentially problems that like decentralization and, um, you know, like open consensus solves. So that's that's one area. And I think the game engine question is something that I'm like, that's of serious interest to me mm. um, because yeah, we don't have <laughs> we don't have engines, and I'm looking at you know indie engines in Web three, like or I mean, pardon me, Web two, and game engines are really great for fostering um, community and cohesion and um, innovation, and I think that's probably one of the big reasons that Web three games don't feel cohesive is because we don't have um, one source of creation or one web like Flash or you know, yeah. it's all kind of spread apart and and divergent it's just yeah that sounds like an opportunity to me flash flash down <laughs> like i mean let's bring it back no <laughs> all it takes is a tweet you know that um <laughs> but i mean taken aside it's uh, i mean maybe that's a good idea it could be a terrible idea but um it there, there, it, it it runs deep, and I know from friends in web design and game design, like it, it, that that resonates hard. Um, so, I think you're asking the right questions for sure, and um, really um, applaud the the ambition of of a bringing what what taking the learnings or the best bits of, of web two into web three, but ultimately building it through a a framework that enables others to build on top of it, right? Which is a you know is a true web3 decentralized uh methodology um but i guess sort of the question then or bringing it back to your storytelling 
uh, poet, uh, you know, artist sort of roots. Um, would love to just maybe dig into that in terms of how you feel or maybe some examples of, um, yeah, how, how you yourself are using games to express your, your creativity. Ooh, that's a really delicious question. I think, um, so there's, there's two parts of it, right? Cause I'm using games to add creativity to something that I did as a profession, which was marketing. Marketing is white and black. Mm-hmm. It's just, give us people to buy our product and then you did a good job. Um, the ways that you can market are changing and web three is part of the re- the reasons it's changing because now community means way, it, it means so much more now than it did, it, than it ever did. So um, I've used games to change the way that we build community. Um, so that's, you know, innovated my, I guess my sort of profession, but I don't think I'll, I don't know, I don't know how long I'll do marketing for it. Cause I feel again, like you're saying this, the need to be an artist and the need to tell stories is far outweighing the desire to just like make money and like, you know, you know, that, like that whole thing. Um, and I feel that games are a rich medium through which we can tell stories because it allows, um, you know, people who are maybe viewers before, like you're reviewing a movie, you can now be a participant in the story and you can, um, have agency and so there's this really cool um idea of how game designers can can kind of encode lessons within the rules of the game so like the bounds and the restrictions of a game um imply deeper meaning that the game designer understands and through playing the game you can understand and uncover this deeper meaning as well um, and there's a lot of cool indie games that kind of do that. For example, there's this game called Passage, where it's literally you um, living your life, and it's uh, really low quality graphics. And the quality is not the point of the game. The game is the point of the game is to understand what the game designer was saying. So you can in this game, you have two options. You can um, retrieve items and collect money. Or you can, you know, get married and enjoy that sort of sector of life. The thing is, it gets harder to get money once you get married. Marriage actually slows you down. So it's like an ethical choice you have to make. And um, the, the bounds of this game are so limited because the game designer wants you to come to terms with those ideas. Like, and to imply it, apply it to your real life. So that, that's one example of... Um, a way that game designers can teach and to share lessons just through the rules and bounds of a game. And um, yeah, you know, on a really simple level, I've been thinking about like how to teach people about Web3 in a game because games are cool because you can die in a game and you can make mistakes in a game that don't that don't hurt you in real life. But like if I send you accidentally send you money through MetaMask, like that's not a game like, you know, (laughs) it's not a game. But it would be cool if it were a game, right? It would be cool if, if newbies could play to kind of figure this space out because there's a lot of um, of ways you could get seriously hurt mm. and, um, you know, get exploited in this space. I, I got hacked once and I thought I was the least <laughs> likely person to ever get hacked, but it's um, it's happening to, to a lot of people. So 
so games to games are a good way to kind of to play out real life experiences in a safe way. Um, they're great learning tools. And as far as storytelling goes, I think from my experience in like the poetry sector of Web3, I'm seeing a new form of media emerging that's native to blockchain. There's poets that are already experimenting with blockchain technology to tell stories. And I think very soon, my world of gaming is going to um, is going to collide with the world of storytelling to form a new sort of um, game based uh, narrative media that is, you know, contingent upon, you know, like the blockchain somehow. I don't know how that looks. I just know that it's coming. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. Uh, it's fascinating. And I think uh, I love the idea of like, like demo mode for life. <laughs> right um that you can sort of play out scenarios um we were just actually talking earlier about using you know virtual scenarios to help education and you know learning different languages right rather than doing it through uh you know a video conference sort of linear narrative it's yeah it's creating gaming environments or real world matching environments that can uh, you know really put you in the place and the experience right. of, of the environment that you'll be actually be using those uh, whatever foreign language or what, whatever it is you're currently learning um mm -hmm. so no, i fully subscribe to that and and i think especially or especially within web3 the need of education is is essential um as people come in and really understand that it's more yeah it's transactional right this is that is the primary difference of of web3 um you know it's it's web2 with a wallet um and i'm simplifying but for, for want of a better analogy that um yeah that has a responsibility attached and and you know you mentioned a few brands that you're working with especially with those brands um if they're bringing their communities in you know you've got a lot more at stake being a brand um you know if you're bringing them into discord rather than a smaller community that doesn't have necessarily those um you know those consequences uh but just um stepping back i'm just conscious of time the um would love to dig into your um your web3 family <laughs> as you call it um maybe you could just sort of t t um, touch on some of your uh your well, your mom and some, maybe some of your siblings, if you have any, just re, just really interested to sort of get a get an yeah. idea of your uh, your family and your upbringing. Awesome. So, I learned about blockchain, and mind you, like I said, I'm impulsive. I go by my gut. I'm like I've had so many career, quote unquote, careers and ambitions in my life that when I have a new interest, I'm like in love with it for like three weeks, and then I'm over it. <laughs> What's, what star sign are you? Aquarius. Okay. What did you think? I was clear. Yeah, I was going to go with that. Or Aries. Yeah, close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I, I can be very, like, like Aries-like sometimes. But um, so when I when my family saw that I was liking blockchain for a long time and I wasn't, like, it wasn't just a phase, they were like, hmm, there might be something here. So I told my mom about it, and she was working in banking. And um, last year, 
because of all of the work that she's done in crypto. And you guys can look her up, Miss Crypto Mom One on Twitter. Um, she was able to leave her job in traditional banking and work full time in like DeFi and like NFT projects. And um, CBS got a hold of her story. They did an, a documentary with us. We were featured on CBS, and it just kind of got a little wild. <laughs> and um, so that's my mom. My sister uh, actually co-founded Moongate with me. She's into digital fashion and um, exploring identity. So, so yeah, we work really closely together. And she's also on Twitter, um, Multi Money Crypto. And yeah, I mean, I could go on from my family's kind of like the Avengers. But <laughs> no man, keep going. <laughs> they, they they've all got a superpower. It sounds like so. I, I, I want to see what the whole clan looks like. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, so we have Gentry Media, which is you know how I was saying I I started in marketing and and social media and like PR and all that stuff. So um, I was working for one crypto firm. And then um, we started our own, um, Gentry is my last name, and um, it's like a family-run business. Like, most of my cousins work there, um, so, like, if it's behind-the-scenes stuff for, like, Boss Beauties or, like, an NFT project we've worked on or um, Star Atlas the game, like, a lot of the times, I'm not even joking, it's us writing the tweets, and then we give it to influencers to tweet it. Like, that's just how this industry goes. But yeah, we're doing a lot of like the back end stuff for a lot of projects in this space. Wow. That's so cool. So it really is a Web3 family. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it really is. <laughs> but was that, is it, has your family always been like that? Always sort of entrepreneurial, running your own thing? I'm just curious to yeah, see you yeah. get like that. Yeah, this is like a permissions mindset, right? As a parent to your, their daughter. <laughs> of like yeah don't do that it's like oh yeah definitely do do that like what side i'm assuming what i'm I pretty no much know the answer of what your mom would say but just just curious to see what those you know that childhood um uh yeah acceptance was was like yeah my mom was always entrepreneurial like for sure but she was and my parents are traditional so like when i left college they didn't love that but i left to pursue this and then when they oh, saw wait, how serious I was... you hadn't finished college to leave college? Yeah, no, I, I left. I didn't finish. I, I don't have a degree. Okay. No, that's cool. A lot of good people don't. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. It was, it was like really um, hard times. So wait, my, where, did you, where did you grow up then? I grew up in Texas, but um, family's from Kenya. So my mom's an immigrant and her dream was to have one of us go to college and I was, you know, the firstborn. I had a scholarship, so it was kind of like, oh, she's definitely graduating. And then I just, I just couldn't do it. Like I, I, I was going for uh, um, computer engineering, and the way that they do it at UT Austin is it's like boot camp. Like they mm -hmm. want to weed you out, and I felt like they were killing my creativity. It just, it wasn't fun. And this is like a like minor, but like the building had no lights. Like, I mean, it had lights. It had no windows. It was right. dark. Wow. Was like, Man, I'm like a plant. I need the sun. I can't be in here all day doing equations with no sunlight. This was terrible. Yeah, that doesn't sound like a good learning environment. <laughs> no, no. I want to be in the sun. I want to be like 
reading Shakespeare, like reading poetry, <laughs> like relax. Wait, so <laughs> how did you end up on a computer science course then if you wanted to be a poet? I mean, some say yeah, code, so code, code is poetry, um, but right, um, right. yeah. So I, I'm gifted and it's like a gift and a curse, but like my right brain and my left brain are equal. So I got awarded for in high, like in high school, I like won an award for like English and everyone thought I was going to go to school for literature, but I was also taking college classes in high school and I took a class on theory and it's math with like no numbers. It's just logic and theory. And to me, I thought that was so elegant and so beautiful and sophisticated mm -hmm. that I thought I was, I thought that's what I was signing up for. I was like, I want to go to school and like write beautiful theorems, like a beautiful mind. You know the movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I thought that's what I was going to do. Come to find out, that was not what college is at all. You're in a windowless I mean, basement writing out terrible <laughs> equations. Yeah, and I can understand why you wanted to leave. <laughs> so yeah. wait, wait, when did your mom come over from Kenya? Uh, ooh, um, so... So my mom left Kenya when she was 18. She left and she moved to Germany. And my dad was stationed in Germany. So I was born in Germany. Okay. Um, and then I, we moved to the States when I was six. And I had to take English classes because I didn't speak English. And that's why, that's why I like poetry now because I'm still playing around with language. And I, I think it goes back to play. Because it's the thing I didn't really understand, so I had to play around with it more. Yeah. Um, and now I, yeah. In terms of your techniques of learning English. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and just had to spend more time, you know, with English and and reading and understanding the language, and then understanding the nuance in poetry because poetry is way different than like you know reading a reading a poem. Reading a poem is different than like reading a textbook, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah. some of your favorite poets? Maya Angelou is my go-to. She's like my numero uno. <laughs> Love. I grew up reading all her books. We had a huge library in my house. Right. Um, and I grew up, yeah, yeah. We had all of Maya Angelou's books. Yeah, awesome. Um, no, that's fascinating to hear. And uh, yeah, just always curious to just to understand some of the grounding Um you know, behind some of the people that we've, you know, we've chatted to, because uh, usually there's a, there's a thread that kind of ties mm -hmm. things together. Um, mm -hmm. And it looks like it is, right, manifesting as you are now with, with Moongate, uh, you know, and, and, bringing, and bringing all these different experiences and learnings, um, you know, and ambitions, um, you know, t together. Um, there was a question in one of the channels. Um, was what is your thoughts on loot, uh, loot project? Oh yeah, yeah, that's a great question. So um, I thought loot represented what I feel this space is about. Loot, essentially, for those who don't know, was this idea um, and really this experimentation in open source world building. And it was so simple that, um, I don't remember when this was, this was, must have been last year, um, yeah, last, last summer. Year. Yeah. Yes. Um, I actually was on a Twitter hiatus when it came out. And when I came back on, I'm like, yo, 
what's going on? Like, and I, so yeah, um, I had to learn about it. Uh, but essentially it's like a, a list of words and on those words you can like really build universes. So it plays, it plays on like the, um, the ideas of, ideas of provenance, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's unique to like blockchain and um, ownership and all these things. And it was so awesome. And at one point I thought that for sure the zeitgeist of Web3 would be forever changed. We would never go back. And then a year later, it's like no one talks about loot anymore. And um, it's sad because I feel that we were onto someplace and we were, we were going someplace unique and someplace that would put to rest the rumors that Web3 Gaming is a scam. Um, I don't know if you guys know, but last week, the Ronin Network, which is behind Axie Infinity, was hacked mm-hmm. $600 million. Yep. And a lot of people hate crypto. And I'd say even more people hate crypto gaming. Mm-hmm. And that was like not a good look at all. That was not a good look. And I felt that loot or an, something like that is in alignment with the ideology of loot. You know, this uh, crowdsourcing, world building, and making it open and accessible. I think that is a redeeming factor that this space desperately needs at the moment. Mm. Yeah, but it comes back to your theory ambitions, no? Um, in terms of yeah, the, yeah. the simplicity of the idea um, is very much up to the the individual to, uh, you know, comprehend and, um, you know, and evolve it. And as most, all, all most good ideas, uh, you know, follow similar uh, traits. Um, yeah. No, it's fascinating. I'm just curious, you mentioned a, sorry, a, a Twitter hiatus. Is this like a, a regular um, sort of pur- <laughs> purging? Um, of your <laughs> of your feeds. One one more thing on on the loot because yeah, uh, sure. I, I don't want to lose the thought. But I, I I've thought about it, you know, just now, and I think the loot issue, um, if there wasn't a loot issue, was um, there. I think maybe if they have, <laughs> and, I, and this is like take a shot for every time she says gamified. But if they would have <laughs> gamified. And incentivized people to like actually build on top of it, and um, kind of created a community, like one cohesive community, because there was a lot of loot subgroups and stuff. Again, it, it there's like this cohesion problem that Web three has, and it's not good. Um, but yeah, anyways, that's just like a random thought that came. No, 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 I agreed with that. Yeah, yeah, it, it was just like there was like there was at least ten loot subgroups, and like if. And I, I had taken a break, like I said, and I came back. I'm like, so what? Who's the real? Can the real Slim Shady please stand up? <laughs> That's an issue if you're new to the space. Like you want to, you want one source of truth, you know? Yeah. Um. But anyways, about the hiatus. So I think it's necessary, um, for me, to take time away from like, m- from the minds of the masses because it's like. I'll go through periods of time where I'll wake up and I'll check Twitter and it's like, it's not healthy. And I, I want to be someone who's known for like having original ideas and um, pushing original thoughts. And it's really hard to retain that creativity and that, you know, that inner child spontaneity and that, you know, that genius, that inner child genius that we all have mm. when you're hearing the opinions of everyone 
all the time. So that was that was definitely needed. And um, yeah, I, I even last week I deleted Instagram for the same reason, because it's like, man, I need to create stuff. I don't want to be a consumer all the time. I want to be a creator. And sometimes I find myself like consuming TikToks and consuming tweets and consuming Instagram posts. And it's like stifling my ability to tell stories and to find an inspiration. So when I take hiatuses, it's because I need to um, go within and kind of find inspiration um, for stories or for like creating things. Yeah, no, I think we could all take something from that. And out of curiosity, what's, I mean, how often, how often do you do that? It's like on need basis, you know, um, cause I'm not the best at like balancing things. I do have meters for Twitter. Like I have a meter that goes off every, a you meter? know, if I'm every day. Yeah. Yeah. Like a timer <laughs> on Twitter. So after two hours, Seriously? the timer comes off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, cause I'm serious about. Wait, what happens? Like, it like shuts, my... it shuts it down for you? Like. Yeah, I'll no, I'll be in Twitter spaces and the meter will come on and people will be like, uh, did she get rugged? <laughs> Oops. So Yeah. I have that, but it's it's like kinda hitting like I'll get to a point where I'll just hit like the snooze or like I'll ignore it and just go back to the app. Yeah. And once I do that for a couple of days, I'm like I gotta sit with myself. Like, did I create anything new today? Did I like what are what thoughts are my own and what is like what am I hearing from Twitter? Like, is this, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's, yeah. that's a, that's it's, a great statement. I think it's, yeah. 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 And it, you feel it more if you're a creative person. So especially if you're like a writer or like a storyteller and you're, um, this, you know, um, I'm going to butcher the name. I forgot his name. A great, a great writer. James Baldwin. Mm-hmm. Has this really interesting talk that everyone should listen to right after this it's on the role of the artist and he he uh says that the role of the artist is to you know carry the weight and responsibility of telling the truth and if you feel that you are an artist then we have to be very serious about catering to ourselves and sketching out times in our busy daily schedule where we're just sitting with ourselves and finding our own inner truth and um yeah, I think I'm I'm just very hard on myself with the social media thing because I see that the more I'm on it, the less I can really be with myself and the less I can really tell unique stories. Yeah, I love that. The role of the artist is to tell the truth. Um, yeah. We did a, uh, we have a, an exhibition space here at Protein and um, oh, it was years ago, maybe six, seven years ago, we did a, an exhibition um, with Henrietta Thompson, who's a, a editor at large at Wallpaper called Slow Tech, and she commissioned a bunch of different product designers. And this was like early in social media's, I guess, sort of influence and stage. If you think six, seven years ago, but there was one great, which I still remember and I still talk about, by uh, by Nick Roop, who's uh, designed the Plumen light bulbs, the, the designer energy efficient light bulbs, but he basically created a, a, a phone iPhone case that's similar to your um, uh, alarm going off, but it gave you a small electric shock <laughs> every time you kind of, what time was up on your Twitter, Twitter, Twitter allocation. So you literally dropped the phone, um, which it may be an extreme, but I think it's sort of 
gets the point across about your social media consumption. Um, cool. This has been amazing. Yeah. Um, uh, just putting it out to anybody listening, any questions, please do drop them in the chat. Um, we've got a few minutes left. Um, uh, Sin, I was going to ask you about if anybody that sort of comes to mind that you had recommended and you've just dropped James Baldwin. So I, if there's, is, is there anybody else on your must listen, must read, must follow Terrence list? Terrence McKenna. Sorry, say that you gotta again. Listen to Terrence. You, got, you guys got to listen to this guy named Terrence McKenna. Okay. He was an, uh, a botanist and he was um, a psychonaut, so he would do a lot of shrooms, essentially. And That's cool with us, yeah. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, no, I I um, was highly influenced by his work, um, and I still am because he has a lot of cool ideas about internet and memes and mm -hmm. meme culture and just like and culture in general. And I think those are interesting. Um, I'm trying to think that would be relevant to this. Uh, yeah, no, Terrence McKenna is a big one. James Baldwin, Maya Angelou, and if I think of anyone, I will say it on the chat. Okay, awesome. Um, Artem's got a question, which is um, about Japanese aesthetics and why you think Asia is underrepresented in, in Web3, if you think that's a thing. I, I would say that there... Okay, so I can speak from the gaming mind frame. I can't, you know, um, speak for the whole of Web3. But as far as gaming goes, we look to Asia to kind of lead. They have a very thorough and sophisticated understanding of how to run guilds. Mm -hmm. And in places like Japan, the whole culture is gamified. My friend was telling me that um, vending machines are, are even gamified. And in, in getting snacks and stuff, there's like little games that you play. Like every part of their culture is gamified. Um, so they have a very deep understanding of at least the sector of Web3. And um, some of the biggest DAOs are Asian based I mean, guilds. Guilds are like what DAOs are, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> essentially, for those who don't know about gaming. Uh, we just call it guilds. But some of the biggest guilds are Asian based guilds. And the largest player base of crypto games are um, Asians, mm -hmm. whether it be the Philippines or Chinese, et cetera, et cetera. So they are, I wouldn't say they're underrepresented in all of Web3. I'd say they're hiding in Web3 gaming. Um, and I think maybe it's because gaming is the coalescent of all of the, you know, various Web3 um, verticals. It's, there's DeFi, there's, metaverse there's art there's um nfts like all of it come together in making a good game and um so yeah for that i think that was one of the questions there was another one or about japanese aesthetics yeah was that a question or was that a comment uh, more just as an observation um but no i think you've answered it in terms of the influence if we can call it that on yeah, Asian culture and, you know, it's built from my understanding in terms of comic culture and, and, and manga, right? Uh, in terms of mm -hmm. the characters, the identifications, the, um, uh, you know, the innate 
um, even just social interactions um, that are very, um, you know, formal and polite, but equally, you know, using game and using these truly virtual escapist opportunities, um, you know, as, as, as ways of release. So you, know, you can, you can understand the, I guess the rationale behind its, its inception. Um, and obviously now, yeah, as I said, the influence that, that, that transcends, you know, you know, globally, uh, for sure. Um, but you know, even coming back to Tamagotchis, right. And just very simple, mm. beautiful coming back to theory, uh, or the simplification of, of ideas of attachment to a small little plastic <laughs> animated toy, um, that could die. And it's just like, even just the concept of that when it was first launched, whenever that was first launched in the early nineties or even earlier, um, yeah, it's pretty fundamental in terms of game design or, you know, your relationship, your relationship with a toy. You know, toys don't die. Like <laughs> they come out of Hollywood and it has a happy ending. And it's like, no, they don't. Right. This is this is life. And to build relationship, you build trust and build trust. You, you yeah. know, you put in time. So, no. Yeah. Totally fascinating. Um, just constant time. And there's some. Uh, yeah, some more questions coming through, I think, or just some really good comments uh, in the channels. But um, two final points, um, saying, and this is again has been has been fascinating to hear your story. But would love just if you if you do have one, you know, recommendation, bit of advice, observation of your sort of journey so far. Um, would love to mm. would love to hear it in terms of um, other creatives, other people coming through. Um, yeah, would love to hear any, any suggestions. Uh, so, you know how I, you know, someone brought up, I think Artem brought up the Japanese aesthetics part and how working in one sector of, um, working deeply when one sector of Web3 helped me, um, like get understanding of that. I think for those who are wanting to build in Web3, my advice would be to um, really understand a domain of your choice. Um, and this is from someone who's done everything. I've done DeFi, I've done, you know, the art worlds, like you guys know, I've done um, a lot of things in Web3. But there's something special about kind of finding a niche and getting to the universal truth of that. And like for the gaming part, at least, there's so much more to Web3 gaming than just play-to-earn gaming. And there's this huge, beautiful, vibrant community all over the world that I wouldn't have even known about if I hadn't, you know, kind of done this with devotion. So I would encourage everyone to kind of mm -hmm. trust your path. If you are, like, in a super niche, like, online basket-weaving path, then trust that. And, like, it's going to lead you to some really cool places and to some deep understandings that are interconnected to the whole of Web3. Um, yeah, I feel like a lot of people um, may have been a little confused by like the career change for me of moving from poet to this. And it's in deepening my path and in understanding um, that games are ways that are new ways for us to tell stories. It, it, it's it's like an evolution of my career. Um, so yeah, I would, I guess I, I, I don't know, this is kind of long winded, but I would 
leave you guys with the um, invitation to trust yourselves and to trust your path. And if you change careers in this space, like that is completely normal. Because um, where you go is always going to like lead you closer to where you um, originally meant to be. Love that. Um, getting back to the truth, uh, always. Um, just final comment uh, or final question, really. What's the best way of uh, someone getting in contact with you? So I'm on Twitter all the time, <laughs> um, hence the need for... Except when you're not, yeah. Not. Exactly, right. Um, so Twitter's amazing for that. I, you know, not amazing. The DMs are kind of annoying sometimes. But um, Discord as well, you can DM me on Discord. I'm in Moongate a lot of the times in that Discord. Um, my DMs are open, so just DM me, we can talk. Um, I feel like I have so much more to say than um, I probably said today, but I, I am super appreciative of this conversation, Will, and for you guys hosting this. Um, yeah, it's just, it's been awesome. Well, the appreciation is returned. Um, <laughs> no, thank you so much. Um, we're just at time now, so um, please show send some love in, in the channel. And yeah, thank you so much uh, for taking the time to come and talk to us today. Yeah, we wish you every success in your future journey. Um, and yeah, looking forward to, uh, to, to following it as you go. Thanks so much, Sim. Thank you.